Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Lord be with you. Give me one moment, because it gets hot in this room. Mm. Ice cold water. Do you realize how important this liquid is in your life? I think you take it for granted, don't you? Mm. Staying hydrated is absolutely critical to the lifeblood of your body. Did you know that you can live about three weeks without eating any food? Except for those like us with body mass index that are off the charts, probably four weeks or five weeks, maybe even six weeks before we give in. All those who are pregnant in our house today have an excuse. We don't. But without water, that life expectancy drops from three weeks to three days. Without water, you're gone. So that might make this message title for today seem to make you scratch your head. I think I put it down as stay thirsty. As if to say don't get enough water on purpose. Or try not to drink water so that you can stay thirsty. That sounds counterintuitive, doesn't it? Yet there is a commercial that regularly runs on TV and it shows the allegedly most interesting man in the world. He holds up a brand of beer, I won't speak it, not advertising for him. In one hand, on the other hand, he encourages his audience, whom he refers to lovingly as my friends, to stay thirsty. It's amazing, isn't it? Stay thirsty, as if that was a good thing. You want to talk about thirst. Jesus knew only too well what it meant to be thirsty without any food or drink for 24 hours before his death, during which time he suffered horrific and inhumane physical abuse and torture. Finally, a dehydrated and dying Jesus looks down upon his enemies from the cross of which he hangs and utters two words among his last, I thirst. I thirst. Food and water are basic staples for physical life. Without them for an extended period of time, the body fails, we die. Why then would anyone want to tell you to stay thirsty? Long before his acute bodily need for hydration, Jesus found himself in Jerusalem on the eighth day of a feast called the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Tabernacles. It was the last of three annual pilgrimages that the men, devout men of the Jewish faith, were to go and attend. Now, lots of other people attended with them. Lots of other Jewish people came from all over the nations to come to this. This was on the eighth day of it. In fact, the name for the Feast of Booths Tabernacles comes from the tents or booths, shelters that they put together the outside of the city so that they could have a place to live while they were there. That's how great the crowd was. On the eighth day of the feast, called the Great Day, as you heard in the Bible reading for today, while seven lambs were being offered up to God, the people were to reflect on the purity, the spotless purity, and the unassuming innocence that was represented by the lambs. 
The number seven is associated with the fullness or completeness or perfection, if you're into numerology as the Jewish people were. So the sacrifice of those seven lambs was to remind the pilgrims in Jerusalem that God's lamb would one day be given as the ultimate sacrifice, as the perfect fulfillment. So by faith then, God's people looked forward to that day, that great day, which would be the final great day, when all the temple sacrifices would come to an end, when their thirst for reconciliation with God would no longer be represented by some symbol of something greater, but by the one who is greater, himself. On this eighth day, Jesus takes the opportunity to speak to his disciples on the importance of hydration, of all things. But from a decidedly different perspective, and as it were, Jesus is essentially telling his disciples to stay thirsty. He says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Not just living water, rivers of living water. These words recall a passage that the disciples would have known from the book of Isaiah. Here it's chapter 55, 1. They wouldn't have had chapters in those days. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk, and without money and without price. Isaiah's words prophesy of one who's coming who would be the suffering servant, who would pay that price. And that price is death, thirst unto death for the sins of the world. The thirst Jesus speaks about here is a thirst of a spiritual kind, a spiritual thirst that can only be quenched by God's word. It is in this way we Christians, in fact, all people, must stay thirsty. The Apostle John, though, adds a very important note about Jesus' conversation, which links this passage to the day of Pentecost. He said, now this he said, Jesus, about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So Jesus points to this day, not only to his disciples, but to us, to the coming of the Holy Spirit. So today's a big day in the church. Certainly there are any number of church and calendar items that are very important in the life of Jesus that we observe and celebrate. This day, though, marks the arrival of the Holy Spirit. Not only that, it's a big day for the church, not just in the church. If there's one day... If there's one day in the life of the church that might make you squirm a little bit, make you feel uneasy or inadequate, because of you're not so faithful following and service to God, this is the day. This is the day. The day of Pentecost. Today's the day we bear ear witness to faithful, faithful servants, faithful disciples who boldly and masterfully spoke in languages of thousands of people, hearing about Jesus and the Holy Spirit and God's promise, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
Today is the day where this happens. On this day, 50 days from the Passover Sabbath, right there, the promised helper that Jesus said was going to come actually descends on the upper room in Jerusalem. Ten days after, Jesus ascended from the Mount of Olives into heaven. And right in the text, you heard it said they were all together, we are told, all together. 120 or so disciples greeted by the Holy Spirit with a sound from heaven like a mighty rushing wind. The wind, we're told, filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, not just the dozen, the 120. And there they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, other languages, as the Spirit gave them utterance. The authority and the power emboldening them to speak God's word. And what do those divided tongues do now, filled with the Spirit, that morning in Jerusalem? Do they say, well, that was interesting. I don't know. Did you see that? Did you hear that? Man, I'm scared now. Did they say, well, well, let's wait. Maybe that wasn't him. Let's wait around for a while and see if it really was him. What are we supposed to do? No, they didn't sit on it. They went right out into the city that morning. Right out, right that morning. And they started to preach. They preached God's word to these Jews dispersed all over the countries who are in the world, in Jerusalem, to observe the Feast of Weeks, overflowing with with Jews. Led by Peter, God's amazing, amazing stuff that God has brings these people together so that they might hear and repent and convert and receive Jesus as their Messiah, that they might become now a part of a new creation, a new Israel, the church. And on this day, the church grows rather remarkably by 3,000 the first day and 2,000 the second day because of the amazing evangelistic efforts of the 120 people. 5,000 new converts in two days. What? tell me what pastor or what congregation would not love to experience even a fraction of such extraordinary and miraculous results. Ah, see, this is where the feelings of inadequacy might start to come to play in some of us. Because look around. There are not thousands of people here. We are not overflowing with people. Thousands, not even hundreds are pouring into our church. We're using all the resources we can muster, even the new technology. But we don't see thousands or huge numbers of people seeking to rush into church, come out of their homes, attend in God's house. So what are we doing wrong? What am I doing wrong? Simple answer is nothing. All I got to do is look back to these guys, 120 people, some of them women. I'm not doing anything wrong. The disciples didn't set out to have this Pentecost experience. They didn't know that was going to happen. They didn't organize focus groups and community polls that day or two. Went out and say, try to get a poll. What is it going to make you come to church? What do you need? What would you like? Coffee? Bread? Breakfast? 
croissants. They didn't sit in a board meeting to discuss membership data. They didn't formulate marketing plans. They didn't call Joel Olstein up to ask him, What's, what does it take to make a mega church? They sat there afraid, in awe, as this wind blew in on them. And this fire came upon their tongues. This wasn't their plan. This wasn't their intention. This wasn't their purpose. It was God's plan. God's intention. God's purpose. It was the work of the Holy Spirit who spoke the truth of God through the disciples. The Holy Spirit who endowed them with the gift of the proclamation of foreign tongues. Where do you think all those Jews came from? Did they just come on their own to see what was happening that morning because a bunch of guys out there talking all kinds of smack? No. God who summoned that huge crowd of people to hear the gospel being proclaimed to them. Remember what our Acts text said. Acts tells us that the sound of this great rushing wind caused everyone to come running so they could find out what was going on. How would they be finding out? By hearing. What was going on is they were hearing the word of God spoken in truth. Faith comes how? By hearing. And hearing from the word of God. Hearing led people to the source and the wellspring of the gospel. These disciples didn't create anything. In terms of success, these folks were grossly inadequate, just like I am, in and of myself. And you are, in and of yourself. This Pentecost miracle was purely and only the work of God in Christ Jesus. It was this Pentecost miracle that brought Jesus to point that out to his disciples. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. There it is, folks. You've heard that now. Today you heard the word. Whoever believes in me, let him come to me and drink. Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Did you hear that? Do you need a good, healthy drink of the living water that is in Christ Jesus today? If you do, you just got it. Who quenches the thirst of the sinfully thirsty? You? Me? Who gives life to those dying from spiritual dehydration? You? Me? No. Only God and Christ Jesus. Do I want to grow the church? Absolutely. Do you? Absolutely. But are you and I willing to let God grow his church his way? His time, his means. How can we possibly do that? Well, it starts right here, every one of you. You let God work in you and through you and not in spite of you. Christ not only quenches your deadly dehydration, he flows through you and to those thirsty neighbors you have who are really in need some of whom may not even know it. So my question for you today is, what flows from you these days? 
<clears throat> because there's all kinds of stuff going on around us. What flows from you these days? What do people get a drink of when they encounter you at any moment and randomly in your life? What drink do they get of when they encounter you? Do they get the life-giving waters of Christ through you and your words and your deeds? Or do they get a tall, supersized drink of septic sin that flows within you? It really is as simple as giving a drink of water, becoming the overflowing cup that Christ uses to quench the thirst of all who hunger for righteousness. Let God work in the church and in you. Let him quench the thirst of all those who are sinfully dehydrated and dying in their sins. Open the floodgates and let the word work. Even if it's one little drink at a time to one little thirsty soul in need. One drop. Because God's word is life-giving. Faith comes from a hearing, and hearing comes from the life-giving word of Christ. Do you remember Peter's inspired and convicting words to the great crowd that first Pentecost day when they heard and they ran right over to find out what was going on? How did Peter address them? You, this Jesus whom you crucified, not exactly an invitation to come into the house, is it? It's the law slapped right into their face. The very Jews that came here for this feast and the sacrifice were cut to the heart hearing those words. Did they just get up in mass and run away? No. They said, what shall we do to be saved? And then they hear the gospel, pure gospel, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. There it is. Law and gospel in its most pure form. The Christological answer that delivers the true life-giving water that Jesus said, the water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternity. So yes, stay thirsty but not with a can of Mexican beer. Stay in the word. Proclaim the good news that Christ died for your sins and mine. Preach it. Teach it. Confess it. Because you are in Christ as Christ is in you. And like the other ordinary means that God uses in the church to feed and save his word and his sacraments, you too are made extraordinary in Christ. As the psalmist writes, O oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Out in the world right now, there's not a whole lot of water. Come here, the wellspring where Jesus' water pours out to you freely. And may this living water of the gospel freely flow from you as the Lord quenches all those who are dehydrated and dying in sin and despair. We too were once dead in our trespasses and sin, but now in Christ, in the baptism of our font of grace, 
we too are a new creation. May the Holy Spirit work in you so that rivers, rivers, waves, tsunamis of living water might flow freely, freely from your heart. Stay thirsty, my Christian friends. Amen.